Take your Bible and look at Philemon uh, tonight. Uh, last week, we really zoned in on verses 1 through 11. And um, tonight, we're going to kind of go back to verse 11, start there, and run our way through the rest of the passage. A very short book. And when you look at the book of Philemon itself, it is not an extremely doctrinal book. And what I mean by that is there's not, there is doctrine there, and there are the essence or the implication of doctrine is there, but there is no direct teaching about God or God's nature. And so I think it's interesting that it is included in the scripture, just to be honest. As I, as I read it and as, I was, as you look through it, you think, well, what is this here for? What does it teach out of all the letters? How does this compare? Uh, but God has it there for a reason. He's chosen to keep and preserve it for us for a reason. And the whole book, we just explained last week sort of as we introduced it, the whole book is very simply uh, sort of an account of a relationship uh, between two men, Philemon, who the book was written to, and Paul, of course, is the author, the one writing it to Philemon, and then a man named Onesimus, who had wronged Philemon, and evidently their relationship had been broken. Now, we know a little bit about their relationship. He was a servant. Uh, Onesimus was a servant of Philemon's. He worked in his household, and in that day and in that culture, he would have interacted with him on a daily basis. He would have been almost as family, uh, but he was paid. He lived there in the house with them. And so this would have been a very close relationship. And somewhere along the way, that relationship was severed. It was broken. We find later in the chapter, it appears as though Onesimus had done something wrong. It seems as though maybe he even had taken something, because Paul says, if he owes you something, I'll pay it back. So it appears as though maybe he took something and left, took something that wasn't his, uh, took his wages and just abandoned his position abandoned and left his job and moved away, and the relationship that they had was severed. <clears throat> then Paul ends up writing this passage to Philemon, this short letter, and it is all about reconciling a relationship between two brothers in Christ. And so the way that we started looking at it last week was, what does it mean to be reconciled in Christ? What does it mean for two Christian brothers or two Christian sisters or two Christians or a group of Christians that are at odds for some reason? What does it look like and what does it mean for them to have that relationship restored? And we notice, you see there in your first paragraph that a little bit of background recap. It says that Philemon was a remarkable man. Uh, we won't, for time's sake, read all the way through verses 1 through 11 again, uh, but it tells us some things about him. In verse 5, it mentions he had great love and great faith, both. He loved Christians and he had a great faith in God. It said that he stirred the emotions of Christians uh, in verse 7. Now we see their peculiar wording there. It says the bowels of the saints are refreshed. But we said last week that simply that translation simply means the heart, the inward workings of emotions. He stirs the emotions of Christians. Verse 2 tells us that he was even hosting a church within his house. Remember, the, the church in their day was far different than the church in our day. They were being persecuted. They were being uh, held back from really advancing or being established physically. So the churches met in very small groups and small units within a, a city or a town, and they often met in the house of someone a little wealthier that had a little bit more room that also claimed to be a Christian, and that was Philemon. However, even though he was godly and gracious... 
He did not escape having a relationship that began to be filled with conflict and controversy. And we applied that to ourselves uh, last week. We said it doesn't matter how good I am. It doesn't matter how much I obey. It doesn't matter how I serve or where I teach or what I do. We are going to come into relationship problems with people as we live our lives. He was a godly man, a gracious man. It doesn't appear that Philemon did anything wrong. It does not appear that he uh, harmed Onesimus or was cruel in any way, but it still didn't keep him from having a relationship that had trouble, that had a struggle. And we shouldn't be naive enough to think that even if we serve God, even if we read our Bible, even if we pray each day, we're going to face problems within a relationship. And we're going to have loved ones or friends that also have conflict in their relationships. And that's where we looked at uh, the person of Paul. He's sort of the mediator, the intercessor between these two men. And so we looked at this in a number of ways. How are we going to apply this to our lives? We looked at it as if we are the one that seems to be in the right, just wronged by someone else, that's Philemon. How do we respond to another Christian when that happens? We looked at it from the sense of when we wrong someone else, like Onesimus did whether it was our intent or not, but when we wrong someone or cause strife in a relationship, how do we treat that person? How do we restore that relationship? And then maybe when we have people that we know and we're not directly involved, we say, well, I don't want to be nosy in anyone's business, but the Bible teaches that if there's two brothers at odds or if there's two Christians at odds, that we have, in a way, a responsibility to try to help see that Restored, And that's the example that Paul is setting for us here. His message to Philemon is simple. And we, we have noted in the last week that Paul never really spends much time trying to figure out who is right and who is wrong. That's like the smallest of his concerns. He does admit it seems like Onesimus wronged him in some way, but he doesn't try to justify that. He doesn't try to negate the fact that he was wrong. He doesn't try to explore or to magnify the fact that wrong was done. He, his whole goal is he wants to see these two people reunited in Christ and the cause of Christ to be advanced. Because he says, when you're at odds, there, there are people that are affected. That's why he addressed in verse 2, I'm writing to, he lists who we think here is his wife and his son and the whole church that is in your house. Why? Because when we are at strife and conflict with someone, it doesn't just affect normally just those two people. It affects all those that are involved with that relationship. And so sometimes I have uh, kids and they are five, three, and one. And even the one-year-old gets at conflict with the others. Uh, specifically recently, he has started to lay claim on certain of his toys. Specifically, food. In, in, when that is involved... He makes it clear if you are at odds with him, not just, his, not just his siblings, but his parents as well. And so we know what it's like as parents to have to try to deal with a relationship on one side and a relationship on the other side. And how are we going to restore this? And if you have parent, there are times where you have to decide who's right, who's wrong. Is there a punishment that needs to happen? Is there something that needs to be withheld or whatever it may be? But for the most part, our goal in dealing with our kids' relationships should be, we want to see you restored. I, I just want peace back in my household. And he says here, the same thing is the goal for Paul. Notice the middle of that uh, second paragraph. It says, Paul never even uses the word forgive in this letter. 
but it's abundantly clear that that is what he's teaching. That is what he is calling on Philemon to do. He is teaching forgiveness. And he does it, as I put here, masterfully. He calls on Philemon to display the change in character that Christ had built into his life. And so remember last week in the first seven or so verses where he says, you are full of love and you're full of faith and you stir the emotions of Christians and you follow what Christ has done in your life. You have a church meeting in your house. Now, take that love and take that faith and take what God is doing in your life and restore yourself to this one and move on with this relationship in your life. I don't think that we often notice it says at the top there, Paul reminds Philemon of his virtues, and he calls on him to act on that goodness by forgiving Onesimus. We would, we would do well when we deal with conflict to call out the good in people before we immediately call out the negative and the bad in people. It doesn't mean you can't ever address a negative situation or a negative characteristic in someone, but Paul deals with this so graciously and kindly and mercifully. He says, Philemon, you are following God. You are a great man of God. Now, you have grown and changed so much in Christ. Use that and restore and forgive Onesimus. Restore that relationship with him. And that would be a good lesson for us to learn to start right off the bat. Have you ever gone in to a, 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 maybe, we'll use kids again. Uh, we'll use, we'll use, have you ever gone into a, a fight between kids or an argument between kids and you just kind of lay them out and say, here's all the things you did bad today and here's all the things you did bad today. So neither one of you deserves to be able to argue with each other because you're both horrible people. You know, <laughs> that's sort of the way that we kind of deal with, con- well now there's a third person involved with the conflict because Kid one and kid two think mom or dad can't stand them. And so now there's three people involved with that conflict. Well, even on a better scale, when there are other Christians and there's different things, notice how Paul doesn't come in here and just blast both sides and say, you're both awful, so just forget about it. He doesn't do that. He calls the good out in both of these people. He looks at the positive change that Christ had made in their lives, and he calls on that for forgiveness. So I want to look at these two simple truths as we look at these last few verses uh, tonight. These two two simple truths about forgiveness. Look if you would in verse 11. We'll read and then we will uh, draw out a few things before we're finished this evening. It says, Which in time past was to thee. He's speaking about Onesimus. He says, So Onesimus in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. He says, He was useless and now he is Useful, verse 12, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. That is mine own bowels or my heart or uh, my emotions, whom I would have retained with me that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Somewhere along the way, Onesimus met up with Paul and Christ had changed Onesimus' life. And Onesimus had become a servant. Paul is in prison. We know that he had some freedoms that other prisoners did not have. And Onesimus helped Paul in some way or another to the place that Paul says, I would love to keep him around just so he can help me. But somewhere along the way, Onesimus describes this relationship between he and Philemon. And Paul says, you know what? You, you can't stay here and serve with me until that relationship is restored and fixed. 
And he sends Onesimus back, probably taking this letter with him. Look at verse 14. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand, I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides, yea, brother... Let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Here's that fun phrase again. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. He says, refresh my heart, my emotions, my inward feelings. Verse 21, having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. So he speaks and finishes this passage, not even saying the word forgiveness, but teaching all about forgiveness. And so let's look at these two uh, simple truths tonight that we see from these final verses. Number one, the motive of forgiveness. He places a big emphasis on this. And look at verse 14. He shows kind of his heart beside it, behind it. He says uh, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. He says, remember Paul says, I could just kind of command you. I, am, I, I have been your pastor. I helped plant your church. I am a spiritual authority in this matter. I could just say, hey, clean it up, fix this, and move on and do what's right. It's your duty. I could command you to do these things. But he said, I would rather you have Jesus work in your heart, and I'd rather you willingly forgive. I'd rather you be motivated, he says, from the right reasons. Well, what are those motivations? I see two of them in the next few verses. Number one, or letter A here, the motive for forgiveness, he says, number one, the sovereignty of God should motivate you to forgive. Look at verse 15. Notice these words, and any of these that you have blanks in, you can find from the verses that are listed beside them. But verse 15 says, For perhaps he therefore departed for a, what? Season, that thou shouldest receive him, how long? Forever. Now he doesn't specifically or explicitly say, think about the sovereignty of God, but he uses here an example. He says, I don't know why Onesimus left you, but Christ has changed his life completely since he went away. He says, I don't know. Paul doesn't, he doesn't get into that. He doesn't say, well, maybe you weren't a good influence on Onesimus, and now I've been a good influence on him, and he's so much better. That would have been the prideful thing to do, but that's not how Paul deals with it. He says, I don't know why he left or under what circumstance he left. I don't know all the details. I don't need to know all the details. But here's what I can tell you, Paul says. Onesimus says he was not who he is today, and Christ has changed his life. And he says, in that, Philemon, you should rejoice. Even if you were the one wronged in this, even if you were the one that had a problem from this, you should be able to look at this and say, perhaps God moved him away for a season so that he could be restored forever. He calls on the sovereignty of God in this situation. He says, notice, he says, Paul does not ignore the negative circumstance or the hurt that Philemon experienced. And we shouldn't do that either when we uh, go through a conflict or a controversy with someone. You can't just dismiss someone's hurt feelings because uh, that wouldn't hurt my feelings. I don't know why it hurts your feelings. Paul doesn't do that. 
He doesn't say, Philemon, I don't know why you didn't have just a little tougher skin. This is really not a big deal. He doesn't dismiss the fact that Philemon suffered hurt. But what he does do is he says, I want to just get, see that temporary hardship work toward an eternal good. And we must, from Paul's example, learn to stop focusing on the temporary why, meaning who is right and wrong. Paul didn't try to get to the bottom of, well, why did this happen? Paul just got to the fact that I am glad that this happened. He said, Philemon, I'm sorry you were hurt. We'll repay however we can. But here's the honest truth. In this circumstance, God has changed a life. And when we suffer and deal with controversy and conflict with people, whether it's in our family, whether it's friends, a Christian neighbor, a brother or sister from within our church or from without, that should be the goal and the motivation in forgiveness in that God in this bad circumstance and God in this conflict somehow can change a life for good. What circumstance in our life can you think about tonight? What circumstance in your life can you think about tonight that is uncomfortable, that has been full of conflict and controversy? Have you honestly sat down and prayed God, whatever is going on, I don't know why we are at odds. I don't even know how this all began, but use it to change us for good. Or are we more concerned with, God, show them who is right and who is wrong? And that's not what he does here. Look at the second motive for forgiveness. He, he uses this idea of there is a greater debt. He says, think about the sovereignty of God. God's in control. He's going to work this out for good. And then he says, think about this, there's a greater debt owed. It says, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee ought, in verse 18, put that on mine account. And then notice, we mentioned this quickly last week, verse 19. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Now, it's interesting how he does this here, isn't it? Because Paul says, look, if Onesimus owes you something, just write me and tell me what it is. I'll take care of it. Remember, he's sending Onesimus back, and Onesimus has no way, evidently, on his own to pay or to repay this debt. And in a picture of what Christ has done for us, Paul sends him back. He says, look, whatever it is, I will take care of that debt. And then he reminds Philemon, for some reason or another, he says, not to mention, though, you do owe me your life. Now, I don't know what Paul is speaking about here. I, I think that it is probably somewhere in the bounds or in the idea that he's saying, look, I led you to Christ. You were lost and without sin uh, and in sin without hope. I led you to Christ and your life has changed because of that. And now on my behalf, I'd love for you just to accept this one back. And so he's reminding it. But notice, I, I don't think he's just trying to hang guilt over Philemon's head. I don't think that's what he's doing here. I don't think he's just trying to say, well, Onesimus owes you, but you owe me way more. So forget about that uh, debt or forget about what it is. I think he's trying to show him a principle. He's trying to say, look, we all owe debts. We all owe people things. We all owe something to someone, and we all have suffered uh, this in some way. And he says he's pointing him toward a gospel-rooted concept. Look, if you would, quickly to Matthew chapter 18 for just a moment. Jesus teaches a parable. Uh, you all, if, if, it, if, we, if we didn't know that Jesus had lived before um, this story of Philemon and Onesimus, we may think it is the same story. If you look at this particular parable, Matthew 18, look at verse number 21. 
Then came Peter to Jesus and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Peter thinks he's big stuff. He's like, should I forgive him seven times if he does the same thing? Jesus said, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. He says, therefore is the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will repay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Not only did he not sell him and not only did he not give him more time, he just said, you know, I'm, I'm moved with compassion today. Your debt is gone. Verse 28, but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, thousands of times, thousands of dollars different, just for a small amount, he says, and he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest. His fellow servant fell down on his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very sorry and came and told it to the Lord, all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt, because thou desiredest me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? It says that he was wroth. Look at verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do, unto you, do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother their trespass. That's pretty clear and straightforward, isn't it? It's very much the teaching of Philemon. And I think that that is what Paul is calling on. You have a quote there. I think this is what the message that Paul is saying. He says, whoever has offended you has offended God in a far greater way. And God has forgiven them, and He's calling you to do the same. So you say, well, what motive do I have to forgive someone? They haven't shown in the least. Notice what He doesn't say is a motivation for being or for forgiving is, well, Onesimus is really sorry. He doesn't say that, though he may have been. He doesn't say Onesimus really repented, though he might have. He doesn't say that anything about someone being sorry for a motivation. He says, think about the sovereignty of God. Think about the fact that God has forgiven you far more than you could ever forgive anyone else. Then notice number two, as we finish, the way of forgiveness. He says, look, Philemon, be motivated to forgive. Think about the fact that God could work this for good, and you've been forgiven a lot. And if you think about that, here's what you can do. Look at verse, <clears throat> look at, uh, verse 12, if you would. It says, Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. Look at verse 16. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He says, forgive him physically, receive him physically, receive him spiritually. Forgive and reconcile that relationship in both ways. He says, as a brother. Now, Christ-like forgiveness does not simply mean we stop fighting. It does not, for me to forgive someone doesn't mean I just stop trying to make their life miserable or I like stop chasing them to hurt them. It means I seek to have that relationship restored exactly the way it was before the hurt and the harm. It doesn't mean everything's going to be exactly the same immediately, but it means that that is the goal. 
What would it be like if Jesus forgave us since we're speaking about the forgiveness of God toward us? What would it be like if God forgave our sin and then dangled it over our head constantly? Well, I could throw you in hell because you're a really terrible person. Remember when I forgave you? I could take it all back. God doesn't do that. He only wants to see us grow in Him. Why is it that we have a conflict, with a, pro- a conflict or a problem with someone we can forgive them, yet then for months or for years, especially if it seems that they're the one that did the wrong, kind of dangle that over their head and say, well, I mean, you did do this. You did act this way. I'm not sure that I can trust you again. It says it's interesting that Paul places Philemon in the act of sacrifice and action when Onesimus was the one that did something wrong. Have you ever had that kind of relationship with somebody or you're having conflict and you're like, well, I'll forgive them, but now it's all that they're, you know, the the ball's in their court now. They're the one that has to, like, take action and do something. But notice how Paul reverses this. He says, finally, man, I know you're the one that was hurt. You're the one that was wrong. But I want you to take action and restore and reconcile this brother. The responsibility is yours to work on and fix this relationship. He doesn't say Onesimus is going to serve you for however many more years. He doesn't say Onesimus is going to... Notice, he, he says, not just as a servant, but restore him as a brother. He says, I don't, I'm not asking you to just give his job back. I want you to love him. I want you to treat him as though he's in the family again. You think of the prodigal son and how he treated, how the father treated his son, and you see the same here in this story. We'll look at the last two quickly. It says... Uh, how, how else do we forgive? We reconcile the relationship. We restore to service. And what do you mean by that? Notice it says, Paul recognizes that the relationship is broken, but now it's profitable. He says in verse 11, which in time past is unprofitable, but now profitable to thee. Verse 12, receive him. Verse 16, not now as a servant, not just as a servant, but above a servant. He doesn't say forgive him and then ignore him. He asks him, he says, restore the service that, that Onesimus was giving you before. Give him that position back. Allow him to be a part of your life again. He doesn't want Philemon to simply forgive and then ignore. He doesn't want him to just simply stay away from each other. He wants them to serve together. Notice this, when Christ forgave us, he asked us to serve in his mission. And that requires interacting a relationship with Him. He is our example for true forgiveness. In other words, Christ forgives us of our sins. He hung on a cross and paid for our sins with His death, with His blood, and with the suffering that He went through on the cross. And then He forgave us through that and in that. But He doesn't hold that over our head and say, Well, I, you're forgiven, but after all that I went through, I don't ever want to see you again. He didn't treat that way. Though he could and though in our minds he should, he gives us an example. He says, not only do I forgive you, but I want you to serve with me. I want you to carry out my mission in this world. I'm going to give you important duties to tell and to share the gospel, to serve and love your community and point them toward me. These dirty, rotten sinners that Jesus forgave, that's the ones that he wants to use. And Paul is calling on that same concept. He says, Philemon, Don't just tell Onesimus, you know, I forgive you, and then walk to the other room like our kids do sometimes. You know, it's like the most awkward thing. Give a hug to each other, and kids are like, 
And they, my kids even kind of turn the other way. It's like they want to rub back of head together or something and then, and then leave. You know, that, God doesn't call us to do that. He says fully embrace, fully restore. And then look at the last thing. He says make restitution for what was done that is wrong. He says, but put it on my account. Onesimus had no resources to repay the debt that he owed, but it still needed to be paid. Like the prodigal that came home with nothing to offer, Onesimus returned to Philemon with only a repentant heart. Paul offering to pay the debt seems like an outlandish gesture, but think of this. It cannot be that outlandish when we consider the fact that Christ has paid debt for sin that we cannot pay. And so when someone wrongs us, they cannot repay. As outlandish as it may seem to forgive, there is one who forgave far more in a far greater way, in a far more outlandish story. And we live in that mercy and grace every day of our lives. And when we consider the reconciling, the restitution, and the forgiveness of God, it should quickly grow our own ability to forgive, and to help restore relationships. May God give us wisdom from this small but useful book of Philemon so that we in turn can forgive as we have been forgiven. Let's ask the Lord to bless His Word tonight.